Well, as I said last week, we'd gotten down almost to the end of chapter 3. It was down to to verse 21. So what are we picking up in verse 22 in chapter 3 there uh, this morning? But any thoughts or comments anybody might have and want to add to the class before we got, before we going into this aspect? Keeping in mind, for those of you that weren't here or weren't able to be in the class last week, but all the way up to this point, you know, in at the beginning of chapter three, we find the the temptation and the fall of of Adam and Eve. We find the punishments that were laid out uh, there in 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 after those things, and. Just before we get to chapter or verse 22, we find uh, God making clothing of, uh, for them as well um, out of animal skin. <clears throat> and, uh, and we had made mention of last week on how that in order for him to have made the clothing, <coughs> the clothing for them out of the, the animal skin, that there had to been death of the animals uh, that he made the clothing out of. Therefore, uh, as if God was making the, the first sacrifice uh, for man so that he could clothe them as well. But that kind of summarizes pretty much up to where we're at in chapter 3. Um, and so going on with that, in verse 22, says... Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. All right, so here, going back uh, to, to verse 6 and 7, where uh, Adam and Eve have both eaten of the fruit, and in verse 7, it says, and their eyes were open. <clears throat> God, uh, making reference to here in verse 22, to these things as far as how he, they have become like uh, us to know good and evil, it basically goes on into the, the thought process and the aspect of how that they will die. And in order for them to die, they can't have access to the tree of life. And that's uh, what we're building up to. And therefore, in verse 23, we have, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And verse 24 says, So he drove out the man and placed, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the, the way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, there are a few things that I was wanting to point out here in those few verses here. First of all, uh, something that I never thought about until I was going through this again is in verse 24 where he talks about how that he drove them out. I never thought about it as it being um, something that, that was almost like a violent push out of the Garden of Eden. 
uh, always, I guess you can say, just thought about it as if, you know, he was, you know, all right, come on, let's get out. But yet it was more of a quickly and rushed getting them out of the Garden of Eden. Um, and it was the same word that was used uh, here in verse 24 over in Exodus uh, chapter 34 and verse 11, where it says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Pezrite, the Hevatite, and the Jubasite. I think I pronounced all that somewhat correct. I think y'all got the gist of it anyhow. But in this, this is where God's driving out the 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 peoples here in the in the land of Canaan for the children of Israel. He, he's making reference to how that he's driving them out. Uh, now, the children of Israel are going through there and fighting for the land, <clears throat> but it's ultimately God that is driving them out, that is pushing them out. Uh, and once again, that's just something that I I thought was kind of interesting when it says that they that he drove them out or drove out the man. <clears throat> and placed cherubim at the east of the gar- <coughs> Garden of Eden. Now, to go along with that, the cherubim in, in general, anybody have any thoughts or comments on that as far as driving them out or anything? I didn't mean to just skip over that. Absolutely. And it was, <clears throat> and that was the, uh, the command that God had given over in chapter 2 as far as how that, they will die um, if they partake of the <coughs> tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I, I'm not, I'm not too sure how to answer that. As far as the the that goes, I'd imagine that the reason why he put forth the tree <coughs> that they could not partake of is to give them a choice, uh, a choice of of doing right or doing wrong, God said, do not eat of this tree. And so giving them ultimately the choice of obeying or not obeying. Um, as far as, I, I, and I'm with Jim 100% on the aspect as far as, you know, eating of the tree of life one time doesn't mean that you're going to have immortality forever, um, which is the same thought that, that I guess you can say I, I had in the aspect as far as death uh, before Genesis chapter 3 because the animals, to my knowledge, did not have access to the tree of life. Therefore, there was most likely death within the animal kingdom um, before Genesis chapter 3 as well, and therefore they were able to associate what death was. Um, absolutely, and, and, and <clears throat> that thought right there as far as Fear being entered in, it's kind of even hard for us to even imagine that because for the, well, pretty much as far back as I can remember, there was always something to fear, you know, whether it had been just daddy's belt, but there was something that I could fear. <coughs> but um, you know, to, to be able to live some point in time, don't really know how much time had passed in between uh, chapter 2 and <laughs> chapter 2 and chapter 3 here. But to be able to live some point in time without any fear, that's that's even mind-boggling to us uh, in general. Thank you for that. But good comments as far as whether or not the, 
the tree of life was something that was one time taken of and, and, and lived forever, what have you. For those of you who might not have heard, Glenn's making the reference to how that uh, when Adam and Eve were created, they were not created to die. <clears throat> and therefore, when uh, they had sinned, they were, uh, that's when they basically had an outlook to where they were going to die. <coughs> and he says that as far as the tree of life goes, if it, you know, maybe it was a once and done type of thing, but it wouldn't have mattered until after the fall for that to have been the case. But, you know, <coughs> Jeremy had brought up a <coughs> interesting as- aspect as far as the amount of time that they lived. And, uh, and that, that always intrigued me. Uh, it still does as far as how much time they have lived and in, in continually <laughs> reading and going forward. And, and, you know, before we get into this class, obviously, you get on over into the genealogies there in Chapter 5. You start reading how long these people are living, 900-something years. Yeah, I mean, man, these guys, they've got some life in them now. Now, and, when, and, and the question that, that, that I would have, though, as far as this goes, is how did this work out? Because, you know, we think about it, and so what's the, the average age, I guess you could say, that we have children in this day and time? I, I guess average, maybe mid twenties, thereabouts. All right, twenty-five. Is it going up? Was well, I was going through this. If you look through here, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think one of the youngest ones that I read. Now, keep in mind, it says, and they had other sons and daughters. Now, I don't know if these were sons and daughters beforehand or afterhand <coughs> when they bring up the particular. Uh, person they talk about as far as in this genealogy here in chapter 5. I'm skipping ahead just for a quick moment just to kind of express these things in in time. But when it talks about, you know, they lived X amount of years, then they had so-and-so, they lived X amount of years more. I want to say that one of the youngest ones that I saw in here was 65 years old, 65 years old before they had a particular child. Now, like I said, I don't know if that was their first child or their last child. <laughs> but, I mean, when we think about that, when we think about the, the grand scheme of things, I was, honestly, I was, in, in my mind, plays weird things sometimes, and I'll sit there and think about things like this. But, because I, I was wondering, you know, thinking about how long people will live, well, say they're living 900 years, well, you know, the average age, I guess you can say that people, well, that might be going up too, Jeremy. Uh, their leaving home was, what, around 18 to 20-something years old, depending on, you know, whether or not they went to college, what have you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, what, how long did they stay in the in their family's house here? Now, I mean, you know, branch customs and things were a little different back here in this time period as well. Um, but, you know, as far as in your in your parents' home before they went and got married, you know, how long was that in, in things that, that's chasing a, a, a rabbit that I probably shouldn't be chasing right now. But, you know, I never thought about it, Julie. I never thought about that being actual triplets uh, that he had had. Huh. Well, I, I don't want to get too far ahead in this because I was wanting to say some of this good stuff for um, when we got into uh, the genealogies there. 
And I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time in the genealogies, honestly, because we can get bogged down pretty, <coughs> pretty quickly there. But I think it's interesting, though, when we pull out different things uh, as far as that type of thing goes. Well, getting back to the, the passage here as far as uh, driving them out of the garden, after he drove them out of the garden, he placed cherubim at the, uh, at the entrance of the garden, ultimately, with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the tree of life. Cherubim in the Old Testament uh, was, was used as guardians uh, of, of holy things. And here we have the Garden of Eden, which was uh, a paradise in a sense. And we have a cherubim guarding uh, the, the entrance to the garden. <clears throat> but when we go back and we think about... <coughs> In Exodus chapter 37, starting in verse 7, we read about how that uh, there were cherubim that was also made and set upon the uh, guarding the Ark of the Covenant, in a sense. And then when we read about um, in Exodus 36 and verse 35, we find how that the veil that was that had come down uh, in between the, the most holy place and the holy place, <coughs> uh, had cherubim woven within the veil, showing as almost like a sign of a, of a guardian in between the two as well, uh, which I never really put that much thought into the cherubim, honestly, but I thought that was very interesting, uh, thinking about the cherubim at the Garden of Eden, the cherubim atop of the Ark of the Covenant, and the cherubim that was woven uh, in the in the veil that separated the holy and the most holy places in the temple or in the um, tabernacle. Obviously, when uh, Jesus had died on the cross, and, and and we read of how that the veil was torn from top to bottom, ultimately showing that we now have uh, access through Christ uh, back to God as well. You know, don't have to go through a, a priest or anyone uh, to have access to God. But just side notes here on the, the cherubim that I thought was interesting. Any thoughts or comments as far as the cherubim go? Yeah, I always, I mean, man, I tell you, when you read about it there in, in Exodus, as far as on top of the, the Ark of the Covenant, I, I try to imagine that thing and imagine the, the magnitude behind that because it was like, when you read it, and it says that it was all of one piece um, that was made together as far as the two cherubim that sat on top of the, the Ark of the Covenant. I, I just, I can't even fathom it. I, it, it. It's something that I'd really like to, to put a little bit more study into, to be honest, because I think it'd be neat to, to be able to see it. But anyhow, um, any other thoughts or comments as far as that? Chapter 4. We start basically the life outside of the garden. We start in here, and we, we read of how that <coughs> in verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And we keep reading, and we find how that he, she had bore uh, 
another son and named him Abel. Now, uh, a couple of things that I thought was interesting here is what the meaning of these names were as far as Cain and Abel. Cain meant to uh, acquire or possess to where Abel, the meaning was breath. Um, and, and I thought Abel's name was interesting because it could have been relating to the aspect of how that, uh, he will ultimately live a short life in a sense. Don't know exactly how long he lived, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're thinking about 900 years or so, he lived a, a fairly short life because he was taken down by his brother. But when we go on into these things, uh, we get down to, well, we find out that, that Cain was, was one that was a tiller of the ground and Abel was a, a keeper of the sheep. In the verse 3, uh, we find a very interesting verse because it says, in, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground <coughs> to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance, or some translations say face, had fallen or fell. What's the first question that we can ask here? Absolutely. Um, because if, if they didn't have any instruction then how can Cain be any kind of, uh, of, of, how can his offering not be accepted? Yes, um, there, was, there was something I had on that. Let's see. And, and, and I understand where you're coming from, you know, as far as how um, thinking of the aspect of a, of a blood sacrifice, ultimately, right? That's what you're getting at as far as how that Cain would have had to have bought uh, a, a lamb of some sort from Abel in order to offer a sacrifice. But when we read in Deuteronomy chapter 26, starting in verse 9, now this is uh, when, when they were preparing, uh, obviously in Deuteronomy we had Moses uh, preparing the, the next generation of Israelites to go in and partake of, or and take of the land. Verse 9 in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy says, and going on through verse 11, says, He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. <clears throat> then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you, your house, you, and the Levite, and the stranger who is among you. I point that out because it, for, for a long time, that's kind of the thought process I had as far as how there had been a blood sacrifice. Now we get that from when we look at the, the law of Moses and how that there was a, a blood sacrifice that needed to be made, but there was also uh, grain sacrifices as well, as far as the first fruits of your land. 
Now, once again, we don't know what the command was that was given to Cain and Abel. So I don't know if it had to be blood sacrifice or if what have you. But the interesting thing that I find as far as these things, as far as this goes, is when you read, starting in chapter 3, it says, And it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. But yet when you get to Abel, it says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and and their fat. Uh, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. What I'm trying to point out here is that (coughs) it doesn't make mention of how Cain brought uh, of the first fruits of his produce, of his, his, his take of the crops ultimately, but yet that he just kind of grabbed it and, and went and offered sacrifice. And I think it also boils back down to Hebrews uh, as what Jim had brought up earlier, uh, how that it was by faith that Abel made a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's a good thought. I didn't think about it in that aspect on how that Cain might have been trying to worship God in the way that he wanted to worship God, not the way that God had instructed him to worship. Anything else before we end our class? Very good. Thank you for your comments and attention.